Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Blake, and I'm so glad to be up here to present God's Word to you today. We're going to be in Psalm 91. We're in week two of the sermon series, Promises, as we go through the book of Psalms. Uh, it's great to see you guys all here this morning. It's also great to have you guys online, and uh, it's, just, it's great to be, uh, be connecting with the people of God and, uh, and getting into His Word and worshiping. Amen? There's something about it when you're together with the body and you're growing. Hey, if you got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn it to Psalm 91. We'll be in the ESV is the version of the Bible we're using today. We have that version in front of you if you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab that Bible and that's our gift to you. No one's going to grab you out at the door for taking it or anything like that. We're just really glad that you've got God's Word and I would encourage you to open it up, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, or physically in front of you, whether you're here or at home. So I grew up in rural central Illinois in the Springfield area. Uh, when, when people call Illinois folks uh, flatlanders, I'm truly a flatlander. I come from the place where I can see into the next county as I'm driving through my county that I grew up in. Uh, you just see nothing but cornfields, soybean fields, houses, barns, and silos. It's, it's a beautiful area. And I, and I got to say, I love I love living up here, living in Monroe. I, I, it's, it's, our, it's, it's my new home, but there's times where I'd go back to central Illinois and I'd just go, ah, oh, it's so flat here. <laughs> oh. And I grew up on a cattle farm. Uh, we, we, had, uh, we had Angus cattle and I would grow up helping my dad out in the, out in the pasture. And even though we were, in, we we're in the flatland, there was a lot of, there's still hills and bumps and, and all sorts of stuff and ruts that the cows would make. And, and I would always ride with him on his tractor. Now we had an old John Deere tractor and it's exactly as you would imagine an old John Deere tractor would look like. It was green, kind of beat up. It had the two little wheels up front that really did nothing. And then the two huge wheels in the back. And where I would sit, because it was just this little one-seater, I would sit on the wheel well. I know all you moms in here are going, what? He, he did what? And I know my mom probably thought the same thing. But when I would go out with my dad, I would sit on the wheel well. Now I know my wife is here. She would never in a million years let me do that with our sons. Now, my dad, though, I, he, would let, he would let me do it, usually when, yeah, like I said, when my mom wasn't looking. So I would ride on the wheel well, and we'd be, I'd just be bumping, and I'm just this little guy, and I'm just like flying all over the place, nothing to hold on to, just thinking I'm having the best time, the time of my life. Now, as an adult, I can see that that seems really irresponsible. Like, that seems really dangerous. How could I be having the time of my life bouncing on this wheel well, this big wheel well of this old tractor out in the cattle pasture somewhere? Well, I had no fear. I knew and I trusted in my dad. I knew that if I were to fall, he was going to grab me. And in fact, there was a few times I was starting to, and he'd snag me and put me back up and say, be careful, you know, and just keep going. And it's so amazing. I, I, looking back on it, I don't, I don't remember once being out in that pasture and, and feeling fearful at all of sitting on the wheel well. I just knew my dad had me. Isn't that a great feeling when you know that you can just trust in some, someone or something so wholeheartedly that you can have no fear? 
That's just an amazing feeling. If you've ever experienced it, maybe you weren't on a wheel well of a tractor, you didn't have my context, but maybe it was in a car, or maybe it was on a, a, at an amusement park, or maybe it was just even in a relationship where you could be candid and trusting and knowing that that person's with you. They got your back. They won't hurt you. Whatever that context may be, it's an amazing feeling to totally trust someone or something. And I did. I totally trust my dad. Should I have? Probably not. But I did, and it was amazing. And when we open up Psalm 91, we see this play out in the context and in, in, the, in, in the arena of our spiritual lives and our relationship with God. It's an amazing psalm. If you've never read Psalm 91, you are in for a treat today. I mean, it's, it, is like, it is one of the most fantastic pieces of scripture in the entire Bible. The things that are promised that God will do in this scripture is amazing. It's, it's, it's a psalm that, it's a testimony of a psalmness about how powerful, how trustworthy, how amazing it is to have the, a right relationship with God. And not only that, it ends with God talking directly to the audience, to us, to all that read this psalm. It's a tremendous piece of scripture. So I'm excited to open it up for you guys. So I hope that you're, you're with me now, all right? You're turned to Psalm 91. In Psalm 91 today, the promise that we see in this psalm is this, is that God is my dwelling place. God is my dwelling place. If you didn't know that, or if you've never heard that before, or you're going, what does that mean? Don't worry, we're going to get into the scripture. We're going to find out. But it's great to know that the promise here is that he is our dwelling place. We can dwell in him. We can set our lives up in him. Our foundation can be rooted in him. So there's three things that we see in this promise, three, three points that we're going to, as we go through all 16 verses of Psalm 91, three points. But the first, before we jump into the first point, I do want you guys to have this. So this is, you can, you can be chewing on this as we go through this. Because God is my dwelling place, I can trust him and come to him in any circumstance. So that's what I mean. Because he's my dwelling place, because I can dwell in him, I can trust him. And I can come to him in any circumstance, no matter what. It's pretty awesome. All right? So hold on to that. And now we see these three areas, these three areas that's part of this promise. Number one, we dwell in his, God's presence. In God's presence, we dwell in his presence. Verses one and two, it says this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So the psalmist here, which by the way, to give you a little bit of context, we don't know who exactly wrote Psalm 91. There's some guesses, there's some ideas. Some believe it might've been Moses because Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And it goes all the way to the time of Moses. And Psalm 91 looks like it's like a continuation, kind of same themes, but maybe a continuation of that psalm. Some of the Hebrew, the original language of Psalm 91 fits and correlates a little bit with Psalm 90. Some also believe that it could be 
King David speaking to Solomon or to one of his sons or even to a general audience about just how trustworthy God is. Or it could be anybody. We don't know 100%. But what we do know about the psalmist is that he has an amazing testimony to tell us about God. And he starts it out with this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, as we go through this, we're going to see four different names for God in the first two verses. It's pretty cool. So he says this, shelter of the Most High. Most High here is Elion in the Hebrew. Shout of the Almighty. The Almighty is El Shaddai. You might have heard that before. I will say of the Lord. Lord is in all caps. That means Yahweh. My refuge, my fortress, my God. My God means Elohim. So there's these, he uses all these different names for God in the first two verses as he starts his testimony of, of how amazing it is to dwell, to be in the refuge, the fortress of God that you can trust him. As he starts that, he starts it very personally. And he opens up that here's all these names. Here's, he knows these names of God. He knows him on this personal, connected level. He has a personal experience with dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, knowing God is his refuge, his fortress, and whom he can trust. He has this personal experience. Now, what's great about this is that this is someone who's living in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, the covenant of the law. And in some way, he was able to have a glimpse of a personal relationship with God through that old covenant to get a taste of what it's like. Now, for us, we're, we, we are walking in the benefits of God's grace through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And we get to walk in this new covenant that allows us to have this right relationship with God through Christ Jesus by grace, through faith in him. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 shows us this. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 actually says this, that we, that God actually places us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So when we talk about dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, the shadow of the Almighty, God is our refuge and our fortress. In the New Testament, what we see is God has placed us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus by what Jesus did on the cross for us, not by our works, not by our goodness, but by our faith in him and his grace back to us. And now we have this right relationship that we did not earn, but it's just, it's a gift from God. And he has placed us, he has placed us with Christ in heavenly places. So when we talk about dwelling, when we talk about making making God our, our dwelling place, that we can dwell in him, that we can we can know him as our refuge, our fortress. For us as New Testament believers, that is a now and also a future thing. So the future thing is we've been, we've been placed with God in heavenly places. That means we have an eternal home through Christ. That means if you've given your life to Christ, you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, you've, you're following him, that you now get to be with him for all of eternity, that you have a place in heaven, that he has made a place for you. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing gift. But that's not all. 
it's now, it's a now thing as well. That his presence dwells inside of us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, now dwells inside of us. And, our, and that's what makes God our dwelling place. We cannot run from his presence. The Hebrew here for shelter is a secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. God has placed us in this secret place, this amazing connection with him and his presence to be able to know him and be known by him, to have a right relationship with him, to have him be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. If you missed out on last week's message by Pastor Dave, he talked about this through Psalm 139. If you missed out, if you didn't watch it, go watch it online, you should. You'll be blessed. But here's what's so cool about this. We get to, we get to dwell in the presence of a holy, amazing, the creator of all things, the one who raised his son from the dead, the one who sent his son for us, God, the one who knows us so intimately, the one who has a, a mission and a will for us so passionately and powerfully in our lives that we get to be in his presence. And it's not some place we gotta go, some temple we gotta be in, or it's not even in the church house. It's wherever we go, because we are walking, talking tabernacles of the presence of God. He dwells inside of us. And then the not yet is that we do have a home. It's in heaven. We can be heavenly minded, knowing there is eternity for us. This is not the end of our road. This is just a vapor, a stepping off point the preamble to a great story, the greatest story that, we, that was ever told and we could ever receive. And that is an eternal relationship with God. So sometimes you might feel like I feel like. Well, I'll have moments where I go, man, God, where are you? I feel far from his presence. You know, feelings are a crazy thing, right? You can feel all sorts of stuff that's not true. And that's not true. His presence is right here. He, you can never be far away from God. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, he is here and he will never leave you. So the amazing part of that is, even though you might say, God, where are you in this circumstance? Where are you in this situation? This didn't work out everything to the good of what I wanted it to be. I hoped for more and it turned out like this. God, where are you? I don't feel you right now. The truth of the matter is he is right here. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes the question we got to ask ourselves is, do we, have we forgotten this great promise? that we can dwell in him, that he is our dwelling place, that in the storms of life, we can live and rest in his grace. It's an amazing gift that he's given us through Christ. Number two, we dwell in his protection. We dwell in his protection. Now we're gonna read verses three through 13. This is a good chunk of this Psalm, but you know what? This is like, this is the crazy part of this psalm. If you've never read this before, I'm, I'm excited for you. All right? I'm almost a little giddy, but I'm a Bible nerd. I'm a pastor, so I get excited about You should get excited about this. This is just great stuff. Let me read this for you. Or follow along with me. Don't just listen, but follow along. 
For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you in his pinions, that means his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will look only with your eyes and see the recompense. That's a, that's a good word, a recompense of the wicked. Verse nine, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall befall you. No plague shall come to your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Wow. Let's just jump back to verse 9 real quick because I want to read this to you again. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Now, I want to stop right there. In the Hebrew, in the original language here, this text, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, is in the emphatic. In fact, if this psalmist was texting us in a group text or sending us an email, it would be in all caps. He would want us to know, like, like he's yelling it at us. I want you to understand this. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Now, because they're in the Old Testament, they got to make the Lord their dwelling place. For us in the New Testament, through Christ, he is our dwelling place. It's absolute truth. There, they got to do the work of, of grinding into that spot. We have that spot through Christ. Amen. Hallelujah, right? Makes you just want to get the praise band back up and, and sing another song. And then, all right, then we'll get back into this. It's amazing. He's made this way for us. So because he's our dwelling place, because the Most High, Elion, is our refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you. We should have no fear of the enemy. No fear of even our future. Now, if you were following on last week with, with Pastor Dave, he, he talked about fear as being a future thing. It's rooted in the future. You know, I don't know what's ahead for me. I don't know what's going to happen so I become fearful of it. Our enemy does this to us, right? The enemy of our souls, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, he does this. Where we might be walking in obedience to what God's called us to do, or we might just be walking with them uh, through a circumstance in life, and things get planted in our hearts and minds, whatever, whatever way he uses to bring fear to us of what if this happens? What if God is not trustworthy here? What if, what if, what if, what if? And I don't know about you, but this happens to me and I start dwelling on the what if instead of dwelling on the protection of God. You become fearful of the what if. Fearful of this seed that's planted that's not of God. That only bears the fruit of fear. What this text tells us is that we should not fear. In fact, in verse five, it says that you will not fear. What will we not fear? Well, you name it, it's in here. Now, in the context of the psalmist here, if it's David and, and Moses or whoever it may be, 
they have seen some stuff. This is their testimony. They've been on the battlefield with a, an army hitting their way with spears, arrows flying past their head, with swords raised, ready to take them out. They've seen pestilence come into a nation and destroy it. It's come near their tent. They've seen the young lion. They've seen the serpent and the adder. They've seen what evil does. They've seen a thousand fall at their side. And they've even seen the goodness of God, 10,000 fall at their own hand. If this is David, David might be thinking of his mighty men, those amazing stories. If you ever have time, 2 Samuel chapter 23 or 1 Chronicles chapter 11 talks about this. They're really short stories and they should be longer because they're amazing. Guys like Joshua Beam who killed 100 men with one spear. Him by himself, one spear killed 800. I said 100, 800 men. That's crazy. Eleazar, who was next to David, everyone else is retreating. Eleazar won't retreat with King David and they fight off the entire Philistine army to the point that the sword is, is melded to his hand. Or Shammah, who everyone else is retreating and he stands firm and takes out in the entire camp of the Philistines on his own. Or if this is Moses, he's thinking about Miriam's song, which is the writer. God has tossed the writer into the sea. Or whoever this psalmist is, they've been through it and they've seen the trustworthiness of God. They've seen where it is to, to dwell in his protection. Now, we may not have an army coming our way, our arrow flying by our ear, We may not have to deal with lions and serpents. But we have to deal with stuff in our lives. Those of you who have been alive long enough knows that life is not easy. Things happen that are outside of our control that can break our heart. And that may be you right now. You may be in a broken place. Hurting from some loss, some destruction that's come to your door and you're going, I love God. Why isn't that protection there? Just know this. His protection is with you. All things work out for the good of those who love him and live according to his purpose. What this psalm tells us and what this testimony tells us is that through Christ, we do abide, we do dwell under the protection of God. Nothing comes our way that does not go through his sovereignty first. So we can trust him that no matter what comes our way, good, bad, or otherwise, he is faithful, he is trustworthy to get us through it. That brings up number three. We can dwell in his promises. We can dwell in his promises. Verse 14 and 16 is an amazing part of this scripture as well. The psalmist quits talking. It's no longer the psalmist that's, that's telling us the testimony anymore. It's now turned. It's now God speaking directly to us. It's a crazy turn of events. I can't think of, and I don't want to stand and say this is the only psalm that does this, but I can't think of a psalm that does this, where God stops and starts to speak to the audience. 
So here's what God says to us as we read Psalm 91. He says this, verse 14 through 16, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. At the very beginning in verse 14 here, it says, because he holds fast to me in love, this word for love is a very different Hebrew word for love. It doesn't mean what normally love means in the Hebrew. It means something different. It means being attached. So the imagery that we can use here for this is a covenant relationship. And a great image of a covenant relationship that we see in, in our world and even through scripture is the covenant relationship of marriage. And as a pastor, I've done, I've done plenty of, of wedding ceremonies. And you have to make covenant promises to each other. And if you've been married or someday you may be married or, uh, or, or, or wherever you may be in that, there's going to come a point where some pastor is going to look at you and ask you these questions. Will you take your, this man or woman to be your lawfully wedded wife or your wedded wife or to have and to hold from this day forward in sickness and in health? in richness or poorness, or richer or poor, for as long as you both shall live. And you're supposed to say, I do, I will, yeehaw, whatever. You know, if you're kind of maybe a little redneck like me, maybe it is a yeehaw. Maybe it's absolutely, maybe it's like, woohoo, whatever it might be. Or it's a, I will or I do. I just tell people whenever I do that, just speak in the affirmative, whatever it is. Make sure it's appropriate and make sure it's affirmative. All right? You know, don't even be tossing something out there your grandma doesn't need to hear. You know, that kind of stuff. But make sure it's in the affirmative. And that's what it is. In this section right here, God starts out by saying, we have a covenant relationship. I've made a covenant promise with you. God has looked into your eyes and looked into the eyes of those who are reading this and said, listen, through Christ, I look at you and I say, I will have you and hold you for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do, not even till death do us part, because even if death tries to do you part, I've conquered death and I have a place in heaven for you. There's a covenant relationship that starts out with all these prompt before we get into all these promises. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. It only comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you read Ephesians chapter two and you get to verse six, it's really awesome because it's, hey, he's seated in, some, in, in heavenly places, places with Christ Jesus. That's awesome. But the first five verses tells us exactly where we're at without Christ and exactly what he's done for us and how we can have a right relationship, which is we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Yet, by God's mercy, he's made a way through Christ. Through that right relationship with him, now we have a covenant relationship. No matter what relationship. And this is what God says. Because we have this covenant relationship, because he holds fast to me in love, these are the six promises God makes. He says, I will. Remember, it's in the affirmative. Just like, it's amazing, the correlation here. He says, I will deliver him. I will deliver you. God says, I will deliver you no matter what. 
no matter what the situation is, no matter what your testimony is, no matter what your background is, no matter who your mom and dad was or is, no matter who you are, what you've done and what could ever happen to you, he will deliver you. Some of you may have a testimony of being addicted to something that is beyond anything you could control on your own. Some of you may have a testimony of being broken to a place that only God could fix. He will and has and will always deliver you. That is his promise here. I will deliver him. Next, I will protect him. He will protect you. It says up here uh, in verse four, he will cover you with his pinions, with his wings, with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, his trustworthiness is a shield and a buckler. He shields you. He fights for you. He protects you. He is your refuge. He is your fortress, your God that you can trust. You can trust him to protect you. No matter what comes your way, it must come through him first. And it says this, I will protect him because he knows my name. You know the name of God. You know him personally. You have a right relationship with him. So he protects you. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. Have you wondered if your prayers are being answered or your prayers are being heard? He will answer you. It may not be exactly what you're hoping for. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But he will answer you. When he calls my name, when you say my name, when you cry out to God, he says, I will answer you. Have you ever been in that place where you're just crying out to God? God, help. God, come. God, work. God, move. Whatever it is, he will answer you. Next, I will be with him in trouble. I don't know about you, but I've been in trouble before. Maybe you're better than me and you don't get in trouble. I know, you know, if, if I need to know if I'm in trouble, I just ask my wife. She'll tell me. She'll go, you probably are in trouble. No, she's very grace, graceful lady. Thank you. Uh, but you can, we have troubles in our lives. We go through trouble, sometimes for some of us, on a daily or even weekly basis. Life can be troubling. We can have troubles, and we will have troubles in this world. We will have to deal with some things. But no matter what your trouble is, he will be with us in that trouble. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Next, I will rescue him and honor him. You know, you don't need to be rescued for something that you're doing right. It's usually when you've messed up, right? I think of Peter getting out of the boat with Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. You might know this story. Peter asked Jesus, can I get out and walk with you? Jesus says, yes, he gets out. He walks a little bit and he starts to sink. He starts to doubt. He starts to see the winds and the wave. He starts to doubt that he can walk on the water and he starts to sink and he cries out, help me. And Jesus helps him. He rescues him. Now, would he have had to do that if he didn't lose faith? No. But thanks be to God that if we lose faith, if we start to doubt the trustworthiness of God, start to doubt that we can dwell in his, in his presence under his protection and in his promises. We start to doubt anything. 
We just go through troubles and we just don't know what to do. We start to fear the future. Whatever it may be, that he will rescue us. We make a bad decision. He can come alongside of us and help us. He can restore us. He can transform us. And he, can, he will either, even honor us. He will rescue and honor us. And then verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Not only does it say he'll give us a long life here, and this isn't a long life like, wow, it's been a long day, or wow, you know what, it's been this long hundred years, and God's just going to give us all this certain amount of time, but it's a long and good life. And not only does he show us his salvation, but he says this, this is an amazing thing. He says, I will satisfy you. Our satisfaction can and should come through the Lord. Our true and first and even total satisfaction can come through him. It's part of our our sinful nature to try to find our satisfaction in other places other than God first. And that's where we get into idolatry or where we can get into idolatry. It can be a relationship. It can be a, a thought process. It can be whatever it is, an ideology, whatever it is. We can make that our God and try to get our satisfaction from that or from him or from her. But that's not what God has for us. He wants to be the one that satisfies us. He wants to be the satisfaction that we crave. He wants to give us that gift of finding the thing that makes, that gives us joy, finding that rooted in him. That is what he wants to do. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. We will know the salvation that comes from the Lord. What an amazing psalm. What an amazing piece of scripture here. We see that we can make God our dwelling place and what happens with that. When we dwell, when we dwell in his presence, not only will he never leave us nor forsake us, but we get to know him personally. We get to know that no matter how we feel, the truth of the matter is he is always here. We get to know that we have a now and not yet with him, that we have a heavenly home, but we can trust him and walk in his presence right now. We can dwell in his protection no matter what comes our way, no matter what craziness the enemy or this world throws at us, we don't need to be fearful. And we can dwell in his promises. He will deliver, protect, answer. He will be with us in trouble. He will rescue and honor us. He will satisfy us with long life and show us his salvation. He is trustworthy to do these things. How amazing is our God? That that is who he is. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is our protector, our prom- one who gives us promise, and one that we can dwell in his presence. So no matter where you're at right now, no matter what you're dealing with in your life, if you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've given your heart and your life over to him, if you've made that decision and you're walking with him, these 
This is the covenant promise you have with him or part of that covenant promise that you can dwell. He can be your dwelling place. You can rest in him. Your life can be rooted in him. Now, if you haven't given your life to Christ or maybe you're just not sure, you haven't made a decision to, uh, to turn away from your own ability to try to do these things, your own ability to protect your life for all of eternity, your own ability to, uh, to do things under your own power. You've been trying for so long to do this on your own. This isn't what he has for you. He has something better, something amazing. He has this promise for you. So if you're ready, today is your day where you can enter into this covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where you can repent of your, your own way of doing things. You can repent of your sin. You can say, I've messed up and I've fallen short and I'm sorry. You can do that and give your life to Jesus. Give your life to the savior of your soul, the one who died for you, who made a way where there was no way that only he could do to give you this ability to know this amazing grace through God. If that's where you're at, I wanna pray with you. And I wanna pray with you if you know Christ and you're wanting to walk more into this promise, I wanna pray with you as well. If you're here and you've, you're, you're feeling like this is the time for you to give your heart to Jesus, you haven't done that before, you haven't made a confession of faith, you haven't confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can pray with me, but I would love for you to come seek me out seek out Pastor Scott or even anyone with a lanyard. We would love to be able to connect with you, to hear what's going on and to be able to help you take the next right steps. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for this covenant relationship we have with you through Christ Jesus. We thank you for this promise that we can make you our dwelling place that we don't have to go through this world alone. And we thank you for that promise, but Lord, that we don't have to even go through this world unprotected, trying to fend for ourselves, but we can rest in you. We can rest in your promises. We can know that you will do what you say you will do. That no matter what, no matter what, Lord, no matter what, you are with us. So Father, for some of us who know you, we walk with you, but this is, a, this is a part of our covenant relationship with you that we haven't really walked in this promise. We just pray that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is doing here. That we would trust you. That we would trust that we can dwell in your presence. That we can trust that we can dwell in your protection. That we would trust that we can dwell in your promises. Help us, Lord, to do so. Father, for some of us, we haven't trusted you with our lives. We've done things under our own power, by our own ability. And we've seen mixed results or even not so mixed results. But Lord, we want to trust you now. We hear the testimony of the psalmist. And we know that through Jesus Christ, the son of you, the living God, that what he's done on the cross for us by taking on all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our hurt by making this way of grace 
that we can now come to you, that we can confess you as our Lord and Savior, that we can give you our lives and that we can take up and accept this amazing covenant of grace that you've given us. So Father, we thank you that through Christ and through the resurrection of him from the dead, that you are resurrecting us now as a new creation in you. We pray that if we're praying this prayer for the first time, we're giving our lives to you for the first time, Lord, that we would just have the courage, the courage to walk by your grace. Lord, guide us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.